1 Peter chapter 1. Throughout my journey as a Christian, whenever I don't know what to read, I read 1 Peter chapter 1. And I rarely am able to finish it. If I don't know what to read, I don't know what to do, I just need kind of a kick in the back and a punch in the throat and a slap in the face, which is Monday for me. I just grab 1 Peter chapter 1. And I rarely get past verse six. I'm just so mind blown. It could be my ADHD. That's attention high deficit disorder. It's big time for guys like me. Squirrel, you know. But I'm gonna do something right now. I'm gonna read all of chapter one. And the reason I'm gonna read all of chapter one is because in my study time and my preparation, last night I realized we're only gonna get through two verses today. And I didn't want to leave you guys hanging, so we're going to read all of chapter 1, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive from God's Word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen, you love. Though, you do, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with precious blood, 
the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Father, would you bless your word now? Would you bless your church? Would you bless us? We don't know how much more time we have. I believe that the blessed hope of our redemption draws near. That is the rapture of the church. I believe you're gonna wrap this thing up. It's just getting worse and worse. But until then, may we be about your business even as the disciples went looking for you and couldn't find you because you were about your business. Even as Jesus' own mom and dad couldn't find him one day. And Jesus looked at his mom and said, didn't you know I'm about the Father's business? And I, Lord, I have such small business at times. Stuff. So may, Lord, we, with holy conduct, live out our days here in fear. That is in respect and in awe of the things of God. Holy Spirit, would you anoint us to do just that? Use our mighty man, Peter, and all of the scars he picked up along his journey and all of the lessons he learned on his path as he now looks out over the harvest and writes his first of two letters before he himself would be crucified. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. The final verse of 1 Peter 1 says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It's the word, guys. This is South Beach Church. We love the word of God. We love the word. The word of God is a light. If you don't have a light, you're in the darkness. The word of God is a lamp. If you don't have a lamp, you're in the darkness. The word of God is a sword. If you don't have a sword, you're defenseless. The word of God is water, it's honey, it's bread, it's fuel. The word of God is everything you need in order to navigate through this crazy world. The word of God will cut through the darkness. You know where the darkness comes from? Way out there, the bad guys, right? And sometimes that way out there bad guy is right here on stage. And it's me that needs to be discerned do you know the word yet? Have you gone to the word of God? Not only to examine it, but to let it examine you and let it, you know, go off when it says and see something in you that's, <laughs> that's wrong. Man, when you get that, when you figure that out, oh, the word of God, it comes alive when you approach it fearfully and 
expectantly. I mentioned this last week that Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, third president of the United States of America, <laughs> he took a copy of the Bible and he cut a whole bunch of pages out. He's like, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. And it was the Thomas Jefferson edition. Total heresy. And you need all of the word. It takes all of the Bible, okay? It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Our world is confused. It's so confused. And if you're taking your cues from the world today, from the system, okay, from the governments, from universities, if you're taking your cues from the world today, you're off course. You just took a detour. And you're gonna be derailed. And you're gonna be disobedient. And you're gonna ultimately deny the Lord. The world doesn't know God. Peter will speak to us about government. How many of you guys think the government's kind of messed up right now? Reminds me of a fire in a dumpster, you know? Just, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going crazy. Peter will speak to us about marriage. He'll speak to us about gender. He'll speak to us about being a parent and being a son or daughter. He'll speak to us about being an employer and an employee. He'll speak to us about being a citizen and what we do with corrupt overreach of government. He'll tell us, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. All of which he'll teach us to do anchored to the word of God. I'm gonna tell you at the front end, it's gonna be rough. See, Peter looked at the world in that day and he knew Jesus Christ personally. And he knew there wasn't a magic stick just to pass around to the church. Just take the stick and you'll be safe. It's been tested. It's a 10-month-old sick stick, nothing to be worried about, just take the stick. He knew there was no stick. Instead, there was going to be suffering. One of Peter's themes in First and Second Peter is, hey, 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 <laughs> you're gonna suffer. That's not an American message. That's not a summer camp message. It's not a fun message. It's the truth. It's the truth. <sighs> Guys, you know Peter? Do you know Peter? Peter's not a joke. Peter doesn't write this letter without some blood all over him. Peter had suffered. Peter had seen the church. Peter learned from Jesus himself. The New Testament has 27 books. There are eight contributors. Matthew. You guys know what book he wrote? Matthew. Smarty pants over there. Is that my mom? I don't know. Didn't fall far from the tree up here. Matthew wrote Matthew. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Mark wrote Mark. He was not one of the original 12. Tradition tells us Mark was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when Jesus was arrested, a young man fled, leaving his robe behind. Tradition says that was Mark. Mark was also with Barnabas and Paul in their first missionary journey. Tradition tells us that Mark was a young man, and he actually knew Peter real well, and Peter told him what it was like living with Jesus. 
And so Mark wrote it down. Mark gets to write a gospel. Luke wrote a gospel. He's one of the eight contributors. Luke's one of the only, it's not confirmed, but the only Gentiles to be a contributor in the New Testament. Born a Gentile, converted over to Judaism. Luke the physician, he wrote the book of Acts and Luke. He's the greatest contributor of the New Testament in totality. Acts and Luke are the most voluminous of works. John comes along and John writes the book of John, gentle John, mystic John, revelator John, John the friend of Jesus. John was faster than Peter, you guys remember that story. Peter and John on Easter morning both ran to the tomb and John made sure in his book to tell everyone, I, I, I got there first. Just, I don't know why I remember that, but I was for, for sure there first. And John, John is gentle. And, and then Paul. Paul wrote Corinthians and Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. And he wrote Timothy and he wrote Thessalonians and he wrote Titus and he wrote Philemon. I believe he wrote Hebrews. Paul just went next level. Paul was crazy. You know, Paul was a fighter. Paul, tradition tells us, history tells us that Paul was short, bow-legged, hook-nosed, and bald. Okay, he looked like Danny DeVito. Okay, just, you know, walk. I'm not, you'll never forget that image, sorry. Danny DeVito, just over there fighting people, you know. Just Paul. He wrote 13 letters, man. That guy was, that guy was a hustler. And then Jesus had two little brothers. He had more than that. He had brothers and sisters. But he had two brothers that went on to write books of the Bible, James and Jude. And they wrote epistles. Epistle means letter. It's a letter to the church. Hey, this is what, this is what I think the church needs to hear. It's a letter. The gospels are stories, history. The book of Acts is a history. It's like, here's, here's what happened. You need to hear that too. But there's an epistle has a different emphasis. Here's some instructions. Here's a correction. Here's an exhortation. And the epistles. And then our man Peter. Peter wrote first and second Peter. Only eight contributors in the New Testament. Peter gets to be one of them. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is mentioned more than any other person. Does that make sense to you? Like, that makes sense. The second most mentioned person in the New Testament is our man Peter. Peter. He's big time. And I wonder if at the end of his days, before he would die, Peter doing all the things that Peter did, he wrote these epistles right around the year 62 and 64 AD, right around the time he died in 65 or 66 AD. And as you study these epistles and just think about Peter, how he had grown. He was so rough when he began. So quick to talk. Many commentators think he had foot and mouth disease because he was always putting his foot in his mouth, just talking. He was a fisherman. We live on the Oregon coast, so I can't tell too many fishermen jokes. I'll lose half my church. You guys know fishermen are rough, man, right? Jesus said, be the salt of the world. He wasn't talking that way, guys. 
Jesus chose of his 12 disciples, seven were fishermen. Fishermen are faithful. Fishermen are courageous. They're brave. They sacrifice. They know how to give and to give and to give. They're willing. They know how to tell good stories. That's funnier than you think. Good, good preachers. But Peter himself had a different personality than, than everybody, just like you do. He was a fisherman, and, but he was also rough, man. He was just cantankerous. History tells us that Peter was big. That's why John beat him. He was just a big linebacker type, O-line guy. He wasn't educated. He never went to school. He's not a smart guy. He was a hothead, quick to defend himself, quick to pull a weapon on somebody. He was prideful. He was also quick to promote himself. He's better than others. He was also fearful. He was afraid of what other people thought. He, he denied things that would make him look better, and he, he had issues. He was actually a, a huge risk and a huge liability to, to Jesus and his mission. This is why I love Peter so much. Because Peter, Peter was full of failures his whole life. If you don't know Peter, I want you to know Peter. As a matter of fact, I read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, didn't I? You got that? Did you notice the very first word? Look at it. It says Peter. Isn't that crazy? That's the author. I'm going to read the whole thing. I was going to read verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is crazy. That's all he said. He just wants everyone to know, hey, it's me, Pete. Then the audience comes in right after that. The audience is still in verse one. He says, to the pilgrims, to the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and to the elect. Stop right there, eyes up here. Now, I, I, I labor long at this point because there are commentators, Bible scholars, big wig guys. They read first and second Peter and they say, uh-uh, no. Nope, there's no way Peter wrote this. <laughs> this is too good. This is way too good. A Peter can't write this. Maybe a Paul. Maybe an Apollos. Maybe some other guy. Uh, but did you, read, did you read the beginning with me? What does it say? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You don't need to turn that. I'll, I'll turn there for you. In his second epistle, he, he elaborates a little more on his title. I'll read it to you. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. A couple years later, maybe he got some heat. Man, Peter, I read, that, I read that letter, man. Who wrote that? Come again? What's that? I wrote it. No, man, that was, that was brilliant, bro. That was brilliant. Who wrote that for you? So, so he, and maybe he elaborates. He changes his name. Instead of Peter, it's Simon Peter. Bondservant of Jesus Christ. Bondservant and apostle. I really value Peter because even as he grew in his leadership, guys, he didn't forget two things. He remembered two things. Number one, where he'd come from, Simon. That's his original name. You guys know that. You guys know the story of Peter, don't you? His name was Simon, and in those days, it meant shifting sand and shady, and his full name was Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. You guys ever read the book of Jonah? Jonah's one of those prophets you're like, don't grow up to be like Jonah. You know what I'm saying? 
And so your name is Simon, son of Jonah. It's like, it's, those are not the best names. So Jesus changed his name. You know they changed his name. You're Peter, Petra, which means little rock. A little piece of the rock, rock. He changed his name at the foundation of Mount Hermon in the eastern, northern region of Israel, right near Lebanon and Syria. And there was this massive rock. Jesus, it was, it was pagan town. It was like downtown Portland. Weirdyville. Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus took his boys up there and he said, hey, what's the, what's the talk of the town? What do people think? Who do people think I am? Matthew 16, you read it on your own. I don't have time today. And they said, well, some think you're Jeremiah because you cry a lot. Some think you're Elijah because you perform miracles. Some think you're John the Baptist because you yell a lot. Or some just think you're one of the prophets. He's like, cool, those are all wrong. <laughs> None of those guys. And then Jesus looked at Peter. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him. He said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. You've had a supernatural revelation of who I am. The world thinks I'm this. They think I'm that. They're kind of close, but they're way off. Think I'm a good guy, a good preacher, a good teacher, a good prophet, a good man. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon Barjona, my father showed you that. And you shall be called Peter. He changed his name. And then he said, and on this rock, your name is now Little Rock. And on this rock, different word, Peter's name is Petros. And he went on to teach and said, and on this Petra, I will build my church. First time we see the word church. Peter, you're spot on, bro. You're spot on, bro. I'm gonna change your name. You know it's a good day when Jesus gives you a nickname, isn't it? A special nickname. <laughs> Shifting sand no longer. <laughs> I'm a little rock. <laughs> you Bible students know that wasn't the end of the day for Peter though, right? 2020 began for Peter that day. Do you know? Do you know the story? Peter's pretty fired up. Yeah. Do you guys hear Jesus call me? New nickname? Do you hear that? Do you hear it? That was sick. Want to tell you a story? I'll tell you the story. You know, Peter's fired up. And then Jesus leads him a little bit further, Matthew 16. And Jesus says, all right, guys, let me tell you a little bit more about what's going on. My church, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Peter, here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We're going global, big time. Here's the deal, though. In a couple months, they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Right then, Peter, in his new CEO position, <clears throat> cleared his throat. He said, boss, I think you've been in the sun too long. I don't know if you thought this through. Crucifixion's horrible. It's a bad idea. And he began to counsel Jesus Christ. And he began to say to Jesus, that's just a bad idea. Like, you, you know, like, 
I got some good ideas. You got some okay ideas. Together, we're going to be a good team. And Jesus stepped back from him. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he had just given him a new nickname, Peter, which was followed up shortly with another nickname, Satan. <laughs> what a day. If Peter ever wanted to go back to that day and just talk about it with his buddies, he had to continue the story from the highlights to the, the valleys. You guys remember that one time? Yeah, we totally remember Peter. That was awesome. Then what happened? Uh, and Jesus says something unique. He says, Peter, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You don't want me to be crucified and die? You don't want that to happen? Well, that makes sense. Who would want Jesus to be crucified and killed? That doesn't make sense. That's the way man thinks. Man has a mind. You have a mind. I have a, a way. This doesn't make sense. I don't like that. This is God's thought. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. And what Jesus was teaching Peter was submission to him. The whole book of Peter is about submission one to another, wives to husbands and husbands to wives and kids to parents and parents respecting their kids and employers and employees and governments and all of it. How is this going? What if there's blood involved? What if somebody dies? The Lord says, you need to be mindful of the things of God. It's the only way you're going to get through this thing. If it's about man's prerogative, man's agenda, man's government, man's rules, <laughs> we are in trouble. But if God knows what God is doing. And so when people read Peter, they say, it can't be Peter. You who are Bible students today say, no, no. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 16, Peter has a good moment followed by a bad moment. And then in Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's another big day. And they get taken, just the three of these guys, they leave the other nine bozos behind. At least that's probably what they were thinking. A little special VIP trip for us three. And they get to the Mount of Transfiguration, and there at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus, and he's transfigured, and he's glowing, and Peter says some stupid stuff. Peter has a good idea. It's not a God idea. It's a good idea. Hey, we should build tabernacles. Let's build tabernacles. Let's do stuff. And the father essentially says, shut up. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We don't need your ideas, Pete. Poor Pete. This is Peter. Presumptuous Peter. Prideful Peter. It gets worse. Peter, it gets worse. You know his story, don't you? Days before the crucifixion of his Savior, Jesus would tell Peter, you're going to deny me. <laughs> no, Lord, never. These other guys, for sure. <sighs> Watch out for them. Not me. Not, not only will you deny me, you're going to deny me once, twice, thrice. Then Je Jesus Christ looks at Peter and says, and when you're back and restored... I want you to strengthen the brethren. Now, at that point, Peter's like, back and restored. I'm not gone or down. <laughs> I know, Pete. I know. But in order for me to use you greatly, you have to be hurt deeply. 
That's a principle. Because if I use you greatly without that deep pain, you might end up like Samson. The power of God, and yet the pride of man. And yet when God hurts a person, when, when life hurts, when you hurt yourself, when you go through that pain, that suffering, if need be, you're agreed by various trials. If need be, why do you suffer? God can't use you to the degree that he will be able to use you without that pain. We see this as Jesus holds Peter. And Peter denies the Lord three times. It's the worst day of Peter's life. He'd had bad days. This is the worst day. The Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. His Savior, his friend, would be killed. And you guys know the story, Peter. When Jesus rose from the dead, Peter, above, above all people, on Easter Sunday morning, needed this to be true. Maybe, maybe my Savior is alive. And Jesus specifically had a meeting with Peter. Peter, it's me. And you guys know the story. Peter had a tough time getting back with the program. He wanted to quit. He went back to vocational, occupational fishing. Why? <laughs> he was a, a loser. He didn't do the one thing he said he would do. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ would not quit on Peter. He went after Peter. Peter had left. He was on the Sea of Galilee fishing all night. John 22, you can read it on your own time. I've sat on the Sea of Galilee weeping over my Bible as I considered Jesus sitting on that same shore making breakfast for Peter. Peter, how's the vision? As Jesus began to restore Peter, and then use Peter in a powerful way against nature, against sin, against Peter's even willingness and desire, Jesus Christ. I like the writers of the New Testament, all eight of them, but I relate to Peter the most. My own failures, my own shortcomings, my own pride, my own rap sheet. You all have your own rap sheet. And yet, if you're anything like Peter or anything like me, you have seen and experienced the never-ending, unending grace of Jesus Christ. There is no lie he won't tear down. There is no wall he won't knock down. No mountain he won't climb up coming after you. Nothing that will keep him out. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I'm gonna give you guys just a big boy principle right now. And I told you I was gonna get through two verses today, but it didn't happen. One of our slogans we use here at South Beach Church is we do everything for the glory of God and the good of others. 
At least we try. We don't always succeed. Last night I was reading this and I just was, I just spent the last 40 minutes talking about Peter. Peter writes his book and you know what he says? Peter. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? He, I mean, he includes apostle. He doesn't argue as apostleship. Apostle is a big word. It's a big deal. He, doesn't, he just puts it out there. And then he says to the pilgrims of the diaspora, the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia, to the elect. And here's, here's my point. Peter could spend the next two or three chapters talking about himself. Nobody would be stumbled. We would want to hear. Tell us your testimony, Pete. Tell us about you, Pete. And he lives and he breathes to write a letter, two letters, not for himself or his own glory, but for the good of others. This is a game changer. When you live your life truly for the glory of God and the good of others, when you get to that point where it does, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about myself anymore. It's, what am I? I'm. I want to talk. How are you doing? How can I help you? It's an epistle. It's a letter for somebody else. And I want, Peter did a lot of great, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In Acts chapter two, the very first sermon ever preached after the ascension, 3,000 people get saved by Pete. Two chapters later, Peter preaches again, 5,000 people get saved. Acts chapter five, Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles hear the message of Jesus Christ and now the whole world can be saved. Peter, and the story is told. You can read it on your own. Get to know this man, Peter. But I'm so impressed that with his own cross in sight, his death imminent, persecution rampant, Peter says, I'm gonna write a letter to the pilgrims, to the diaspora, the dispersion. Diaspora literally means scattered seed. The Christians, the Jews, the Gentiles, the converts in those days were scattered seed on purpose. The idea behind scattered seed is that when you scatter seed, you want it to grow. That's, I, I put this, it's there. You could look at yourself as the diaspora, the dispersion, the pilgrims and say, this sucks. Not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be where I came from. The word dispersion is actually a title that comes from when the children of Israel were taken to Babylon in 600 BC by Nebuchadnezzar. They were dispersed. And yet Peter, he says, you guys are there on purpose. Oh, you're in Bithynia? Oh, you're in Cappadocia? I was gonna talk a little bit about these modern day regions. This is Turkey. It's number 26 on the world watch list of the most dangerous place to live as a Christian. There are 25 other countries more dangerous. You'll be killed. You'll be persecuted. In this region today, there's 83 million people and 173,000 Christians. That would be like if Newport had 10,000 people 
and 20 of them were Christians. And the other 10,000 were not nice. Can you imagine being one of those 20 Christians in Newport? Just 20, like <laughs> 20. You go to the store, good luck. You go to the beach, good luck. And so Peter, Pastor Pete, the end of his days, before he dies. And here's my challenge to you, and I, I, I could just keep going. I had a whole other verse. What are we doing, guys? Read First Peter. He gives instruction. Oh, you're here? Oh, you're dispersed? Oh, you're elect, verse 2. Next week, we're going to talk about election. Oh, God chose you by his foreknowledge? <laughs> You've obtained mercy. Good. Then don't be surprised that it's tough for you as if something strange were happening, but instead rejoice. Matter of fact, let me read to you the final kind of thought. This is verse 13 of chapter four. You can look it up later. 12 and 13, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings and when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Did you know that when you suffer, you have an opportunity to be more like Jesus? When I suffer, I'm usually not like Jesus, just confession time, sorry. I'm usually an enemy of the state. And so Peter says, I know, it's tough, huh, guys? It's tough. The word pilgrim is also the word sojourner. Some of your Bibles say stranger. You're a stranger. Some of you are just strange. Some of you are strangers. And the idea is, is Christian, do you feel strange? Do you feel like you're on a journey? Do you feel like you're not home? I sure do. I feel super strange. Good. This isn't your home. Live for the glory of God and the good of others. But I failed, Pastor Luke. I've not done it perfectly. Peter's your guy. But Luke, it's been bad. I disobeyed. That's what Peter did. And then I, I walked away from the Lord. I deserted him. That's what Peter did. Luke, I've even denied the Lord. That's what Peter did. And Jesus changes everything. Peter's a witness. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to Peter and the bunch, you're going to be my witnesses now. A witness literally just is on display. People can make a decision about you one way or the other. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was empty, now I'm full. I was scared, now I'm courageous. I, I'm just, hey, you, don't, you might not like me, you might have questions, doesn't, just, I'm living as a witness. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name now, we thank you
that you change everything. That Jesus, you have chosen to partner with men like Peter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Paul, James, and Jude, in Luke Frechette, in Ollie Yardley, and John Smith, and Deb, and, and Linda. Lord, you've chosen to partner with Gordon and you will never leave us. Our message isn't one of self-righteousness, but one of Christ-righteousness. So would you anoint the church to navigate through the end of this year, the Advent season, the holidays are upon us, Christmas and that will come and go, and we will be in January, and there'll still be confusion and chaos and suffering. May we not think it strange, but instead, Lord, may you anoint us. Bless my friends, my brothers and sisters. Bless the young people that were here today. May they mature. May they draw near to Jesus Christ. And may we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To him be the glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen.